I'm baffled by Mother's reception of me. I'm sure she blurted out either William or Willie when I caught her by surprise. But I can't think of any one of that name she could have taken me for, and I don't see how she could have been expecting a visitor at such a late hour in this out-of-the-way place. What is even stranger is that she wasn't pleased to see me. As for Effie, she was obviously horrified at the sight of her brother— I wonder how long I will be able to endure this benighted backwater. When I lifted a corner of the curtain and looked out a moment ago, I saw nothing but the moon shining palely across the silvery expanse of mud and waves, both so smooth that it's hard to see where the marsh ends and the sea begins. Nothing, not a house, not a light. I'm astonished that the house is in this state— Almost nothing seems to have been done to make it habitable, yet they've been here for weeks. And I have lost my trunk, because that wretched carter who brought me from Thurchester Station was afraid of getting stuck in the mud. He forced me to deposit it at a grimy beer shop along the way, and the brute of a landlord charged me a shilling, but would not give me three minutes to unlock it and remove its precious contents. From now on I must keep an account of my expenses— and not fall into the old ways. That should not be hard. There is nothing here to spend my money on. Memorandum. Opening balance. Thirteen shillings, fourpence halfpenny. Expenditure. Carriage to Whitminster. Two shillings and threepence. And storage of trunk at fourpence per diem for three days. One shilling. Total expense. Three shillings and threepence. Final balance. Ten shillings and a penny halfpenny then two hours on foot along a winding muddy way until at last I rounded a threadbare hedgerow, and before me lay an inland bay filled by a salt marsh that spread towards the distant sea like a great black stain of ink on a blotter. In the fading twilight I could just see an ancient house with a muddle of high chimneys, like an age-bent hand raised against the grey sky. This truly is the last place in England." I opened the iron-studded door and found myself in a large hallway with an ancient oak staircase. It had black panelled walls and narrow casement windows. No fire burned in the hearth. The place was so dark and musty that I believed I must have mistaken the house. I passed through one comfortless chamber after another, ducking my head beneath the low cornices of the doorways. Then, in a cramped scullery lit by a flickering oil lamp, I came suddenly upon a little old woman, bent over a sideboard, with her back to me. She turned. It was the mater. For a moment she recognized me no better than I had recognized her. That's when she said, "'Willie, I wasn't expecting you so early.' I said, "'Who is Willie?' "'Richard, is that you?' Now she sounded frightened. "'Who did you think it was, mother?' She came towards me, and I thought she was going to kiss me, but she only stretched out her hand and touched my coat as if she thought I were a phantasm. Who is the Willie you expected? I did not call you Willie. You misheard me. I cried out in astonishment because I didn't think you were coming until after Christmas. I said, Why weren't you expecting me? I thought you were going on a walking holiday. Didn't you get my letter? She shook her head. I had overtaken it. I said, Mother, aren't you glad I'm back?
She came up to me at last, and, raising herself on tiptoes, she kissed me. Then she stood back and looked at me. "'You're thin, Richard. You haven't been eating well. It's odd how one's mother treats one as an object. She was eyeing me as if I were an old table she was thinking of purchasing. I was almost afraid she would kick my legs to see how they sounded.'